Welcome to the Firestarter Podcast. People, ideas, and conversations that move us forward. I'm your host, Willa Kammerer, and it's my passion, my purpose, and my business to make the world a better place through storytelling, which is why we're here today. We'll talk to mission-driven entrepreneurs, philanthropists, and investors, thought leaders, researchers, and experts on the front lines of the world's most pressing issues about designing and thriving in careers of impact. My guest today is Professor John D. Tribus, a social strategist on a mission to help impact organizations embrace the blur between sectors, functions, departments, and human strengths for good. John leads and manages Georgetown University's Center for Social Impact Communication, which is where we first connected. John's career journey has spanned multiple sectors in pursuit of making an impact. He served as personal advisor to the world-famous chimpanzee expert and United Nations Messenger of Peace, Dr. Jane Goodall, traveling with her around the globe on her perpetual 300-day-per-year advocacy tour, working to inspire people to conserve the natural world we all share by realizing that every individual makes a difference. John has also served as a strategist at the British Embassy in Washington, D.C., and within WE Communications Social Innovation Practice advising clients at Tiffany & Co., L'Oreal Paris, Coca-Cola, Microsoft, Women for Women International, and CARE on social responsibility. He is an adjunct professor of social impact and nonprofit management at Georgetown University and is currently pursuing his PhD in organizational leadership from Concordia University, Chicago. In our conversation, we talk about the role and importance of storytelling in the impact space, John's pathway of exploration to creating the ideal professional role for himself, and how storytelling and story archetypes can inform and guide our own lives and quests for purpose. As always with John, it was such a thought-provoking conversation, and I can't wait to share it with you today. John, welcome to the podcast. So happy to have you joining today. Thank you, Willa. Thank you for the invitation, and it's it's great to be with you. Absolutely. So you run Georgetown University Center for Social Impact Communication, and we met when I was enrolled in a social impact storytelling course that you were teaching, gosh, I think about a year and a half ago is when we first connected. Um and as a little context there, you know, when I first came across the program, it was one of those things where the application deadline was just a few weeks away and I had a lot on my plate. But as I was reading the description of the program and it was just one of those, oh, no, I know I have to do this and I have to do this right now. Things. So I pulled it together, submitted the application, you know, and we're part of why we're here today is, you know, because I certainly had no regrets as part of that. So. I, you know, just a wonderful program and everything that you're doing at Georgetown is just, you know, really valuable work. So I really appreciate it. Well, thanks for, thanks for saying that. And it, there's not two days that are the same. And that's why I love the work that I do at, at Georgetown. And specifically, you know, I work on a number of different topics related to social impact, but storytelling in particular, because as you all know, you never know who you're going to meet when it comes to the topic of storytelling. So as you mentioned, that's how we met. And that's how I've met a lot of really interesting people is through the topic and teaching storytelling for social impact. Definitely. And it was a really interesting cohort of people as well in community. 
Um, so I'd love to kind of go back to the very beginning. You know, where did you grow up and what did you want to be when you grew up? Well, we're going really way back, aren't we, with that question? Really way back. We've got to, you know, we've got to start, go back to the earliest story threads and then we'll fast forward. Well, I grew up in what I fondly refer to as the Hollywood of the Midwest. I don't think that anybody else calls it that, uh, but that's what I call it. And it's a suburb of Chicago um, called Oak Park, Oak Park, Illinois. And I call it the Hollywood of Chicago because a lot of interesting people um, have called Oak Park home through the years. So it's uh, been the home or where she was born of Betty White from the Golden Girls, among many other uh, things. Um, also where Frank Lloyd Wright, uh, the architect, did a lot of work. Ernest Hemingway, the writer, lived in Oak Park for many years. Uh, even the voice of Homer Simpson uh, and the dad from Frasier uh, lived in Oak Park for a period of time. So it's a really interesting suburb of Chicago, about 20, 30 minutes from downtown. And I'm really proud to have grown up there. Very uh, progressive uh, sort of community and welcoming to people of all different backgrounds. Um, so that's where I grew up, but also spent every summer in Michigan. My family had a home on a lake in Michigan that was more, you know, kind of nature oriented and being able to be out there with the sunshine and the elements. So I kind of equally grew up there. And what did I want to be when I grew up? Uh, my most early memory was, are you ready for this? I wanted to be a herpetologist. I wanted to study reptiles. That's wow. a, that's a, a, a little bit of a twist in this story, right? Um, but I've always loved animals. You know, you know about me, so that's probably not too surprising. But there was something very specific at the time that it was reptiles that I was interested in. So I wanted to be a couple different things through the years as I grew up, but that's the first memory of what I wanted to be. Well, my first memory that I remember writing about, you know, on like a fifth grade paper was a veterinarian. So, you know, kind of we were, we were kind of following, maybe there's some connection to storytelling there. I don't know. <laughs> yes. Good. I mean, I'm in good company then. <laughs> definitely. definitely. Um, so, you know, how did these kind of threads for you of, you know, storytelling and impact, you know, how did they kind of come together? Did one kind of emerge before the other and lead to the other? I'd love to just kind of hear how that came together for you? Well, I guess, you know, to, to maybe reflect and answer that, I've got to take a quick step back in that I've got to talk about my parents, if I may. And, you know, I'm a professor at Georgetown University, um, as specifically, of course, about social impact, including storytelling. And I found myself having this as my career and my life's work kind of by accident. This was not, you know, my life's plan, so to speak. Um, starting off way back when wanting to be a herpetologist and a couple other things along the way. But I absolutely believe, well, it was what I was meant to be. And so, and to know the answer to that really gets to my parents. So my mother uh, is an educator uh, her entire career, and she is a college professor. There is a lot of other people in my family who are educators. Uh, my sister is a Spanish teacher. My grandmother uh, was a teacher in the suburbs of Chicago for many years, teaching history and languages and geography. So that was my mom's side, uh, that teacher. And my father was the leader, uh, the executive director of a number of different organizations, nonprofits through the years, including an organization called Helping Hand. 
um, that employed and cared and gave services to people and their families with physical and intellectual challenges. So guess what happened? Before I knew it, I became the perfect combination of both sides of my parents. And it wasn't, I have to admit, it sounds silly, but it wasn't until the last few years that I stopped and realized that that was the case. It was this family that never talked about really what they did. They just kind of led by example and did the work that was part of our ethos, you know, that was part of the family, didn't really talk about it in a very overt way. But look at what has happened to me, perfect combination of both of my parents. So that's kind of one side. And then specifically the storytelling kind of evolved, you know, with time. That too wasn't something that I set out to uh, have specialty in. And I kind of call myself also a story scientist uh, of looking and thinking and researching and teaching stories in so many different ways. They're endlessly fascinating to me because it's linked to what it means to be a human. Um, but one of really the earliest influences in my life about storytelling was my grandmother. She was a phenomenal storyteller. She's since passed. Um, but she was one of these people that just had always great stories and would connect with people and talk about her travels. Um, and then, a, of course, I also had another job in another lifetime ago that was the job of a lifetime, and that was working for Dr. Jane Goodall. Uh, of course, the world's foremost authority on chimpanzees, United Nations Messenger of Peace, National Geographic cover girl, but also, I think, the best storyteller of them all. And that's really her process that she often talks about is how she creates change and impact in the world uh, is through really the vehicle of story. So I kind of had these early influences, if you will, about storytelling in my, uh, in my life, both personally and professionally. And it's just one of those things that you go to the next step and the next part of your journey. And before you know it, you've kind of got your life's work in front of you. And it's, it's pretty exciting. It's not always been the case, but definitely is right now. Well, I love knowing about all those roots. And I'm so glad you mentioned your work with Jane Goodall as well, because, you know, I would be remiss if I didn't mention that. I mean, what was it like to work so closely with someone like Jane Goodall, who is just such a this mythic figure? A mythic figure, but a real person, you know, to um, to kind of put an exclamation point on it. It, you know, it, it can seem kind of passe to say, "Oh, I worked for her," but it just um, it just was so natural. You know, she often talks about how there's there's Jane Goodall, the famous person that you know everybody knows about, and then there's just Jane. And so I got to. Um, really work with both sides of the coin, if you will, about that. And Jane is really a person who walks the talk. She, she is the story that she tells. Um, so she's everything you would want to be in a hero, a heroine, um, because she actually is what she talks about. So I got to know Jane um, just as a person, and she's she's incredible, but she also taught me so much about life. She just has you know this huge mission and vision but she also has fun. So there was a lot when we were on the road. Um, you know, I, I helped plan her uh, nonstop world tour where she travels more than 300 days a year. But we would just have fun and we would laugh and we'd go back to the hotel and tell stories and meet interesting people. Everybody that we met had a name. You know, there was the, uh, the insect man, for example, and the crane person. And she just would make it a lot of fun. So, of course, I learned so much professionally, um, but just she's an amazing person 
to learn and to work from from that perspective of how do you make an actual human life around these big perhaps missions you know that we're trying to achieve professionally as well um, so it was the opportunity of a lifetime it changed my life completely now and will ever inform how i do my work and hopefully lead my life going into the future as well yeah such a gift to intersect with those people in our lives it is and it, um, so know, that really I, I really try to stop and think about that more, you know, as, as I get older and have more experiences it, it, in the moment, you know, I knew it was an incredible experience, but you really look at it with experience and say that was an incredible experience. So one of the things that I do now that I just finished teaching before um, we're doing this conversation was I teach a course about Jane Goodall, uh, the Jane Goodall rules, activating our reasons for hope. And so I always try to take a little bit of Jane with me in the work that I do, including um, to teach students of all different ages and backgrounds and, and how can we kind of learn from the work that she does and adapt it to who we are and who we want to be. Definitely. Well, you know, that segues nicely into, you know, as I was perusing your bio in preparation for our conversation, I came across this concept of the blur, you know, uh, between different sectors, functions, departments, and human strengths you know, and kind of how the value of these intersections, you know, can you talk about how that plays out, you know, in your in your life and in your work? Yeah, I think the blur is kind of an interesting way to think about work and life, certainly as it relates, especially to social impact. I mean, from one perspective is there's just so many different aspects of the social impact sector. Of course, traditionally, it was mostly nonprofit organizations. That's where you went to go if you wanted to have a career that so-called make a difference in the world. And I've worked in nonprofits, you know, do a lot of work with nonprofits, but there's so many other avenues. Um, that's clear. I don't need to, I'm not the revolutionary thinker behind that. Um, there's so much role of of corporations playing within change, certainly of social movements, um, of the government, of working individually and being consultants about all of this. So the blur is part of that, is there's so many different organizational and even non-organizational types that can play a role within uh, social impact. And there's also not just one functional area. You know, I kind of got, um, might start more in, in terms of kind of the traditional marketing and communications aspect of the sector is how can we use that. Um, but really, it doesn't need to be as formalized in these traditional boundaries or silos within organizations of marketing, communications, development, programmatic. Um, in the smart organizations, those silos are being busted more so. There's more blur between that. So what I'm also interested in is what does that mean for the students, undergraduate, graduate, executive level, how do we educate those people who have to be the silo busters to work within the space where they have to think about the blur? So that's kind of what I mean by it. And then as we go throughout life, from more of a personal perspective, what does it mean to evolve, you know, uh, in our in our life's work? We just like my, you know, introduction about my background, we can start of one path in life and it's okay to take a different path because sometimes that path presents itself. And so kind of the blur is about that as well. Kind of a symbolic way to, to think about life and, and work. Definitely, and I feel like all those kind of threads along our you know life and work pathways tend to 
you know, inform what's next. And you don't really know how it all fits together, you know, until you're kind of up to the next stage. Absolutely. And I think you're proof of that and I'm proof of that. And I think a lot of people are as, as well. You, you go one step ahead, another something enters the picture. You work hard, take advantage of opportunity. That's what, what Jane would say, and you will find a way. Um, and, you know, a lot that goes into that, of course, is being uh, lucky, the right place at the right time, and, and also aspects of privilege um, and things like that. But there's a lot to be said for letting kind of life unfold and, and also seeing where it takes you if, if we have the ability to do that. Definitely. So you mentioned, you know, college students and just how things continue to evolve. Um, I'm currently reading this book that I think would be right up your alley um, called Impact Imperative by Dr. Pamela Ryan. I'm not sure if it's on your list, but, um, you know, she talks about she kind of predicts through conversations with change makers, you know, looking ahead to the next decade that um, by the you know, kind of 2030s that there will be no more compartmentalizing, you know, where we make money and where we do good, you know, that the distinctions between social and business and entrepreneurship will be redundant by 2030. Um, and that, you know, breathing, thinking and breathing positive impact will be part of organizations DNA. You know, what do you make of that? You're, you're deeply immersed in this space, you know, and have been for a while, you know, what do you kind of make of that prediction and kind of what's your pulse check on it? <laughs> I think that's an, I, I certainly hope that that's going to be an accurate prediction and I believe in it as well. And I think we're uh, making steps as, as a society that that's exactly where we're headed. You know, it's really interesting for me because I work with a diversity of students in all senses of the word, including as to where they're at in life. So I do teach a lot of graduate and executive level, but also undergraduate. And so what I really notice about the undergraduate, you know, the young 20-somethings, is they don't, they see this blur already and they don't even realize it's a blur, which I think speaks to that prediction, is just social values are embedded into who they are and what they're trying to be in the world. So they don't even think about it, like if they want to work in a corporation, they don't think about, oh, that's the corporate social responsibility department, for example. They're really after what are those values. Um, and thinking about it is, is to what is the um, really uh, uniting of values between the person and perhaps the organization. So what that means then from the organizational side is they need to keep up with that. So I think that there's added pressure in a really good way for that exactly to happen. Um, at Georgetown, one of the other really interesting custom education programs that I'm working on right now in teaching is a certificate in collaborative storytelling for social impact with IBM. And they are a company that practices what they preach, always room for improvements, but they are a very social values driven company from a ethos perspective. And that's what this program is trying to reflect is how do we get this community of practice of employees going within that company so that they talk about their values. And again, really, how do they unite with that of IBM? Not this silo sort of thing in corporate social responsibility, but that it's just spread all over. So by time that um, program concludes, we will have taught over 150 IBMers from around the world, not just United States, but really with that mindset of how do we play a role uh, within values and ethos and bringing them to life, especially through that power of story. You know, well, as you well know, stories are powerful. There's lots of different, there's a lot of negative sides. We can't always be 
you know, rah, 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 storytelling is so great because there's some negative aspects. They can perpetuate bias, for example. But one of the unique things about storytelling that never ceases to surprise me and amaze me is that stories can at once make space for how we're different as humans, but also how we're similar. It does two things at one time and then some. So it really is this vehicle to me of really bringing these values to life. And that excites me. So I do think that prediction is going to come true. Well, it's always good to hear an optimistic perspective. And I'm so glad you kind of, you know, begin to kind of delve deeper into this idea of storytelling, because I think that it can be kind of a buzzword, you know, so I'd love you know, in marketing, you know, in all these other spheres, everybody's a storyteller and, and we are all storytellers, but I'd love to, you know, kind of hear your wisdom on the role of stories in, in our own lives and in our, you know, just society, you know, back to the earliest, you know, traces of human history, you know, stories have played a role and also, you know, how they affect our brains. Right. And, and it's not lost on me. I'm preaching to the choir with you in particular as a fellow story expert and lover. But that's absolutely the right question that I think we all should be asking, you know, that who work in this space or perhaps want to work in this space, because it gets to, you know, more nuance as to what is the role of stories and how do we really communicate them uh, better with where society is at right now. So one, to take that question and kind of dissect it, if I may, is we are all storytelling creatures, absolutely. So a lot of people still are kind of fearful when, when you know, you tell them, tell a story, and they say, I have no stories to tell. Well, of course, that is not true. You know, there was one study that was done that says at least 65% of our everyday interactions are based on stories. But really what we don't always fully grasp, especially if we think of stories in the marketing context, is that we're all storytellers because it's really um, a different uh, different spectrums of storytelling. So we have formal stories, you know, kind of more stories as speeches or presentations or things like that. And then we have all these informal stories that we just communicate about every single day, just the everyday conversations, the gossip that goes on. Those are forms of storytelling, the texts. There's just so many ways in which to conceptualize story. So that's part one. And that also, by the way, is what makes us uniquely human. Going back to Jane and the chimps, chimpanzees are our closest living relatives in the animal kingdom. But And they communicate. They communicate very effectively. But what they don't do, as far as we understand, is tell stories. So stories can be about the past, the present, and even a future that doesn't exist yet. And that's interesting. We have this ability as humans to conceptualize the world and communicate about it in so many different ways through story. So I think that's really interesting. But as we think about, you know, kind of where do we go with storytelling is we've got to do it much better. We've got to appreciate the nuances of it. You know, really what I'm especially thinking about right now and trying to get other voices and, and educate you know, my students about is we always use the term storytelling. And to your point, that's the buzzword, right? It's so popular right now for good and for bad. But what we often are not making space to have the conversation about is story listening and also story convening. So not just how are we storytellers, but you know, in the roles that we may have, how do we make that space and become story conveners and get others involved in that process. 
that can be a space for some from the organizational side where it's uncomfortable to be in that because we think we've got to control all these messages. But newsflash, we're not controlling messages anyway. So how do we evolve this conversation? You know, this could be a TED Talk, Willa, that we do at some point. But how do we evolve that conversation in this practice that it's not just storytelling, but listening as well as convening? So that's what I'm increasingly interested uh, in and, and how do we really have those as practices and as a mindset. Yeah, and that really kind of leads into my next thought was, you know, I would I would love some, you know, advice from you on kind of how mission-driven entrepreneurs or businesses, you know, can more effectively communicate their own stories and also, you know, kind of their desire for positive impact, but it's not just so they can tell their own stories and, you know, the causes that they care about, but also I really think the needing to turn it into action, you know, how do you build a movement around that? Um, and how do you kind of create a community around that? Mm -hmm. Well, one is first, you know, how we would, how I would try to break down that question. It's a big one. And it's a good one is part of the mindset perhaps for entrepreneurs or, or otherwise is how can you approach your work and your mission from an ecosystem mindset as it relates to stories. And so think about the analogy here for a minute. An ecosystem and other aspects of life, right, is an ecosystem of a rainforest, a jungle, a desert, so many different ecosystems, and so many different animals, big and small insects, plant life that interact within that ecosystem. That's how I think about stories. So how do you have stories that are um, small ones, little anecdotes? How do you have stories that are big ones, bigger narratives? How do you have different stories with different purposes, different definitions of success? How do you have stories that do make space for promotional aspects, but also how do you have stories where you don't expect to sell a product, but are about pushing against stereotypes in society? So if that analogy makes sense is we try to create these ecosystems of story within organizational work or otherwise. I think that's, to me at least, that's a really powerful idea and a mindset to do that. And then it hopefully helps your mind think about, okay, what is my story as a leader maybe? Or as that founder, as that entrepreneur? You know, what is my the story of me or the origin story? So many different labels we can put on that. So you have that space in the ecosystem for that. But then again, you also have space to be that convener that I spoke about is how are you identifying others whose stories need to be told and who you give permission to to be imperfect storytellers that are not getting to the organizational key messaging. We need to make space for that as well. So it just gets into this different mindset that I'd like um, people to get into and then different definitions of success. And just my last point in that idea of the ecosystem is how do you make space for what I call story experimentation? You know, often again, through the marketing lens of stories, we think about things that are on the website or on social media. Really important. You need that as part of the ecosystem. But how do we try something different? Maybe it's not going to work. Uh, maybe it's not going to have the intended outcome, but that's okay. So how do we especially have maybe stories that um, are less polished? And we do things like one of the... Um, story experiments that I've been doing with some of my students is the human library. Um, I don't know, Will, if, if you know about the human library at all, but it's this idea of don't judge a book by its cover. And it can be applied in a lot of different ways, but what a lot of people are doing, 
is they have they curate kind of an event where some people are the human books who tell their story and some people who are the human readers who listen to the story. Now, it's ideally pre-COVID done in person, but imagine this being done on Zoom and you don't even show faces until the end. So you're instead listening. You're utilizing those senses with storytelling and just listening to somebody's human story. And then maybe at the end, you actually see what they look like. So that's an idea of how can we take these other ways in which to share stories and connect as humans and just try something new, make space for that too within this uh, ecosystem uh, way in which we can share stories. Yeah, I think that that sounds like a great experiment and thing to be, you know, I, I, I would love to see that in action, ideally in person, we hope, you know, maybe in the coming year ahead. <laughs> but um, so, you know, are there any other trends that you're watching that you're excited about, you know, in the storytelling space or kind of the intersect between storytelling and impact? I think there, there's quite a few, you know, there's a lot of talk, for example, of virtual reality, you know, I would argue that that's important to, to think about, but perhaps um, has kind of lessened an impact along the way. I go back to the overall trend that what's old is new again. And, you know, what I mean by that is, again, we have all these different technologies, but there's no substitute for face-to-face -face or Zoom-to-Zoom -Zoom or phone call-to-phone call and making an old fashioned human connection. So as we have more and more channels and mediums in which to communicate, you know, I would make a really strong argument to say that there's still no substitute. And actually what breaks through the clutter arguably more so is really old fashioned communication and storytelling. So I get it, we can't always do that. You know, if we're trying to build campaigns and movements, you know, one, one by one can be hard to do to reach scale. But how do you think about that as part of the strategy? You know, back to my former boss, Jane Goodall, um, when she's doing lectures all around the world, pretty much 99% of the time she hosts a book signing after her lecture where she's telling stories. And really the reason for that is a story exchange, is so that she can make that human connection old fashioned, she can hear their stories and how they've responded to her stories. So again, what is, folks listening to this, what is your version of that? How do you go back to some old fashioned and old school really ways in which to do this? I always get so many questions about use of new technology and stories. We gotta think about that too. But I think one of the big trends is what's old is new again. Something to think about. Definitely, I just think that kind of human connection, you know, no matter how many technological solutions we come across, you know, I think it's just, can't really replace it. So we'll take a short break right now and we'll be right back. <laughs> For the past few years, our team has been partnered with the Saul Zantz Charitable Foundation on the production of a feature length documentary, Starting at Zero, Reimagining Education in America. It's about early childhood education and why we need to take it seriously as a country. The film brings together the voices of policymakers, including five current and past governors, educators, academics, business leaders, pediatricians, parents, and children. Visit startingatzerofilm.com to learn more, watch the trailer, and connect with us on social media. You can also send us a message to host a free screening in your community or license the film for educational and institutional use. Again, that's startingatzerofilm.com. We look forward to sharing it with you. 
because the future of our country depends on a successful today for our children and our families. All right, and we're back. So, um, you know, one of the most powerful exercises during our program that we did was um, the story archetype test. And I'd love to talk a little bit more about that. You know, it's it's kind of like the Myers-Briggs or Clifton Strengths Finder test, but, you know, looking at how stories play out in our, you know, individual lives. Um, I certainly wasn't familiar with it, you know, when I came into the program. I don't know if you can kind of share with our listeners a little bit more about it, you know, in case they're not familiar as well. I just felt like it was a really interesting way to reflect back on, you know, our own pathways. Yeah, I, I love this assessment. It's called the Pearson Mar Archetype Indicator. And it kind of is colloquially, you know, speaking, it's kind of a, the, um, to your point, is kind of the Myers-Briggs of storytelling. But really what it has is this list of archetypes that are present in everybody. So you take the indicator assessment and really what it shares back with you are what are the um, top uh, archetypes that are kind of currently present in your life. So this indicator is different from Myers-Briggs in that it can evolve throughout time. So it's really kind of captures where you're at in life right now with what archetypes are present. And so the idea behind it um, is really once you have awareness of your archetypes, you can go throughout life with greater awareness about how you see the world and then communicate about it in story. So it's a little bit of a mind uh, warp, I have to admit, when you first hear about it, because it gives you this awareness again about what are these archetypes? So for example, some of, I'd be curious, Willa, to you to remind me which ones, if you remember, are high in your life. But ones high in my life are sage, seeker, and jester. So what this is saying is this unique kind of fingerprint about how I look at the world and, and then communicate about it. So um, the sage is not too surprising for me as an educator, as a professor, right? Always after knowledge. But the adventurer, my favorite story is Indiana Jones. Uh, I love Indiana Jones. So always kind of after this adventure, grass is greener somewhere else. And then um, the Joker is always having a little bit of fun with something, even if it's a serious topic. And when I had that, I had the realization that, my gosh, these are the three unique ways in which I see the world and, and then communicate. What was, what was your reaction when you got your results? Yeah, I mean, I think kind of grounding similarly i definitely i can't remember my top three but i do remember that seeker was my number one which is not all that surprising that you know i sought out having a conversation with you today to dig a little bit deeper um and i think that definitely is a reflection of how i've lived my whole life and i hope we'll continue to you know live my life just being curious and exploring following different pathways and threads so i found it was both a revelation, you know, reading the results, but also very kind of grounding, you know, yes, this is who I am. And it's just interesting to read it back and have it reflected back in a different way. And and part of what this, this goes to in my mind is even something larger, you know, as to what Pearson Mar Archetype Indicator helps us do. But if we want to be better storytellers, we've also got to be better consumers of stories. And even if we don't want to be better storytellers, by the way, I think this is something which is what I'm after with the work that I, I'm doing is we have music appreciation. But how about let's hear it for narrative appreciation 
and understanding the role that story and narrative plays within life and society. So again, it's this idea that you can't get through a single day without not only telling but consuming stories, and they impact our minds and therefore the actions that we have in the world in such very um, uh, non-conscious ways that we don't even realize the influence that they're having on us. So again, think about that as it relates to bias, um, as it thinks as it relates to politics or whatever you know way in which you want to apply this. So some one of the assignments that I have other students of mine do is a day of story observation. So picking, you know, a 24-hour period of time and really paying closer attention to the stories that are around you on social media, on the news, texts with friends, all of the many ways stories come to life, and categorizing them and really raising our awareness as to what are those types of stories and how are they influencing us. And that's kind of a wake-up call, too. So that's an, another interesting exercise um, that folks might want to take advantage of. Definitely. Yeah, it sounds really interesting. Um, you know, are there any, reflecting all, you know, back on your own life more, are there any mindsets or philosophies that you feel like have been just this through line in your life that have, you know, helped you get from point A to point B and, you know, just been embedded in who you are and your outlook on the world? Well, that's a good question. We're getting really at where I got to reflect here. Um, <laughs> You know, one is, um, you know, maybe some of these are going to sound simple, but I, I do believe in them. I mean, one is to is to try to have fun. Um, you know, it can seem like when you're doing impact work is you're doing heavy stuff at times. But what I really learned, again, especially from Jane, is that sense of how can you have fun while you're doing the work, whatever that means to you. So trying to look at um, and appreciate the lighthearted moments and making some room and understanding that those are important. Because um, in this work in particular, burnout is really easy, uh, especially, you know, uh, right now when, when we're all at our homes, both living and working. So I think fun is really important. Um, I think connection is also really important. And again, back to listening. So just like you're doing with all this work, Willa, is listening to people just with different perspectives and trying to take a, a glimmer of, of a knowledge or a nugget of something or a seed perhaps that they plant within you. So I've kind of done that in the past too, is just talk to a lot of different people in different you know, walks of life and different backgrounds. Um, and then what's also been important to me as part of my journey is to work in a lot of different ways. Again, back to that embracing the blur idea, working in a lot of different ways within the social impact sector. So yes, in nonprofits, but also as a consultant, I've been as a trainer, as working within socially responsible businesses. And of course, you know, within the last uh, quite a few years working at Georgetown, there's just so many ways we can make an impact, whether that is your day job or not. So having that wide, expansive view. And then I guess just lastly is to uh, don't be afraid of making those mistakes. I know that might sound cliche as well. But I, I think of one job in particular, Willa, and it was a mistake for me to take it. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna share what job that was exactly. So the story that I told myself in the in the moment was what the heck did I get myself into? I would probably use a swear word actually to to really share that story, but I thought, what did I get myself into? So that was the story at the time. But guess what the story is now years later? I'm glad I had that bad experience. 
because it really did uh, teach me a lot. It, it, it taught me about um, environments that I'm not going to thrive on. So it really is also another one of these, as we pick up the thread again of storytelling, is that experiences in life, the story can change throughout time. There's studies about this as well, by the way, is that we have an experience and we tell ourselves one story in the moment, like it was a horrible situation, but years later you reflect back on it and you realize, oh, that was actually a really good experience in my life's journey. So having that open mind that experiences can change the meaning of them throughout time is, has been important to me. Absolutely. And I think, you know, some of our hardest experiences in life when we're going through them, you know, when it just feels awful, sometimes those looking back kind of have this kind of poignancy and sweetness and, and become this real source of strength, you know, as we go forward and just help us know ourselves better um, at other points in life. So I do think it is really interesting how our own kind of personal stories and perspectives can evolve over time. They can. And, you know, as we think about a, a storyline with ancient Greek mythology, it's also kind of a version of the phoenix rising from the ashes, you know, a story in life that there's not necessarily a happy ending, but there's that glimmer of hope there's going to be a part two. So that, again, goes to if we think about the conceptualization of stories in our own life, not just as these things that we're sharing, but that we're going throughout life with these experiences, including how do we frame them in our mind as stories? So utilizing these negative experiences and realizing there is a part two to all that as well. And as you're going through it, you know, trying to cultivate, well, at least this will make a great story someday, right? Oh, yes, yes. <laughs> a lot of good stories come from uh, adversity, you know, both small adversities as well as large ones as well. Definitely. So, you know, you were talking earlier about how you just really feel that you are on the pathway that you're meant to be on, you know, that the different elements have come together, you know, in the right way for the time being. Um, you know, I just love from where you sit now, you know, what advice would you have for a younger person or maybe someone who's at a career juncture, you know, someone who's looking to connect with more purpose and meaning through their own work, you know, how to begin to seek out that, you know, meaningful work and pathway? Well, if, if Jane was giving this advice first, you know, which I would share as well, and then I'll give some of my own thoughts, but it, it always rings true to me is, um, you know, she says, if, if you work hard, if you take advantage of opportunity, you will find a way, uh, whatever. And there's many ways, right? There's many paths. There's not a universal definition. So whatever, you know, that means to you, you know, again, back to the ideas, there's so many ways in which to make impact you've got to start somewhere. So, I, you know, within my career, which continues, you know, it, it doesn't always start at so-called perfection, whatever that means, but you got to start somewhere. And then again, that leads you to, to the next part, to the next part. And so it's thinking of it more in this journey mentality of ups, ups, downs, and all arounds, uh, as, as the case may be. So, you know, if, if it, it's somebody who's younger, who's just getting started, what might that look like to volunteer or to do something in a pro bono capacity to just get that experience to begin with? And then where might that lead you? I would also say that, you know, people who live impact driven lives really also tend to be quite generous with their time and their knowledge and their thoughts. So doing the reaching out to somebody who you admire sort of thing is also not a bad way to go. And just hearing a little bit more about their trajectory, which is, I know, 
what um, what you're doing, Willa, with this project, and just to hear how how they went about it. But you got to start somewhere, and then you've got to give your self-permission to make those mistakes and I think see where it leads you next again back to my story would I ever think that I would be a professor of social impact at Georgetown University no that's not what I set out to do but thank goodness it's happened so the way I think about the work that I'm doing now is I've had more impact than any other time in my career uh, working in so many different ways within the impact sector because it's almost like it's a ripple effect of impact if i can help somebody else with education make a little bit more impact that creates this ripple effect that they do for others so we've got to think about this work as well i think with a community mentality not just of perhaps people that we serve but we also think about giving back to others who are trying to do this work i think that's really important mindset to have as well yeah, and I think it's really valuable advice to just, you know, start somewhere because you don't know, you know, where it will lead. And I think the careers of today and the careers of tomorrow, the most, you know, interesting and, you know, probably the most impactful ones aren't necessarily careers in a box, you know, exactly. <laughs> who would have ever thought, you know, you, you would have ended up where you are, you know, so I think it's, it's, it's a pathway. It's, it's an iterative process. And I would be remiss too, Willa you'll appreciate is this is also very much um, a gig economy where people are not in necessarily organizational, what is a nine to five job anymore, but you know, suffice it to say a nine to five job anymore. There's side hustles and gigs or whatever words you want to uh, put on that. I do also a lot of teaching in social impact consulting. And that's additional education that we're going to be building out through Georgetown University and the Center for Social Impact Communication. Is there's so many people, even if they have a full-time job, who are trying to uh, give back and working on small gigs or working in a consulting mentality. So, you know, let your mind go as to what the options are. And, and to your point, start somewhere and see where it's going to take you. Definitely. So, you know, from where you sit now, is there anything that you know to be true at this point in your life that, you know, you didn't know to be true at an earlier stage in life? Oh, I got to pause with this question while you're giving me a really one. Sorry. You've got to <laughs> give me one where you really got to dive a little bit deep. Um, I, I think what I know to be true now upon reflection is that um, things are going to be okay. And I mean it certainly from a personal perspective, but I, I think I also mean it from a societal perspective as we kind of zoom out from this conversation. Um, from a personal professional perspective, it's again, everyone's going to have those ups and downs. I, I don't want to come on here and, uh, and come across like I'm presenting. I had it all figured out because I didn't. Um, but it all has, has uh, and it's going to continue to evolve, but it's all going to be okay and, and has been. And I think about that as, as we think about all the things that are impacting society. Um, right now and always and going forward, racial injustice, uh, inequality, um, everything happening with climate, conservation, health, COVID. Unfortunately, the list goes on and on. But I also, what I also know to be true, not only that it's going to be okay, but that it's also important to have hope. And I don't mean that in the Pollyanna sense. Uh, hope is very different than optimism. 
there's actually something that's called Schneider's Hope Theory that really is about this action orientation to hope, that actually maybe you don't have hope about everything in life and society, but you really start to think about what do you have hope on and the strategy orientation to trying to move the needle on whatever issue that you're really passionate about. So really trying to think about what are you passionate about? What is that aspect of the work that you can play a role in? And when combined with others, that really starts to uh, build a snowball effect. So think about what do you have hope for? What can you have a strategy about with your work professionally and personally to try to move the needle? And it will be okay. And and those are things that I do know to be true. I love that. And I really, I am a fellow believer in the power of action. And I think, you know, whenever I'm the most kind of engaged in just trying something, even if I don't know, you know, what the result will be, it makes me feel more hopeful. So I think that's really powerful. Well, what do you think? I mean, if you don't have hope, what do you have? So again, it's not that we, you know, we talk a lot lot about hope within impact work, but it's not the idea. You got to be hopeful about everything. But if you can't get up and have hope about something and the role that you can play, what else is there? You're not going to have that action orientation. Have you seen that in in the work that you do and, and all the different organizations and causes that you work with? Definitely. I mean, I think a through line for us, you know, is just trying to identify those places of hope, you know, those positive messages and not just positive messages in a superficial way, but there is always a positive thread in everything and, and, you know, to help identify that and, you know, build community community around that as well. And And it really comes then to how can we develop our own reasons for hope? Jane Goodall has her reasons for hope, things like the indomitable human spirit, the power of young people, the resilience of nature. So in that other course that I mentioned, the Jane Goodall Hope class that I teach with undergraduates, um, they're really uh, not only encouraged, but given the task of developing their own five reasons for hope. So that's exactly what they do. And they come up with the most uh, amazing but diverse things. So I I don't know. I, I... I punt that back as a planting a seed, hopefully to the folks listening to this is to what are your reasons for hope that are unique to you and, and your journey? And I love the idea too, of kind of outsourcing it. If you can't find reasons, you know, yourself on any given day, then, you know, you can look to your students, you know, list of five. And there's always, I think, people and books and nature and just different sources that we can tap into our lives to to try to find a a bit of hope when we aren't really feeling that ourselves internally. Look out for that proactively, right? Don't just expect it to come to you. But it is not only uh, students, but other people as well that that indomitable human spirit of people doing really remarkable things in the face of horrible things you know, that are happening in the world. And and that is having that reminder, that that nudge, that sense of inspiration, it dubs, does rub off um, on you. And there's just people doing absolutely incredible things. We had in, in class before this conversation, um, we had the founder of the Center for Great Apes in Florida joining class. And she was talking about how she never thought she would be doing that work and how she's rescued chimpanzees and orangutans Um, from all over, including Michael Jackson's chimp bubbles, including chimpanzees from the Tiger King, and just devoting her life to that. So 
you know, as I was hearing her story, it was rubbing off on a little bit of me, you know, of having a little bit of a bad day and saying, well, I don't really have a reason or an excuse to, to say I can't uh, do something else on the list today of, of hopefully making a, a little bit more of a dent as it relates to what I do. And that was because of that indomitable human spirit that I got from her. So we got to be on the lookout for those reasons for hope as, as we march to what gives us passion and what role we can play. Definitely. Well, this has been such a wonderful conversation. I really appreciate it. Um, do you have any other reflections on storytelling impact, the intersection that you'd like to share with our listeners? My goodness, we've covered a lot of territory, right? We've gotten like philosophical. I just, I don't know. I would just reiterate just to, to start somewhere and and wherever you're at in your particular journey and and be open a little bit to that adventure. And, you know, then as it relates to storytelling, uh, in particular, my passion, my life's work as, as a story scientist, as an educator, um, be encouraged not only to tell your own story, but listen to other stories and be that story convener. And there's so much that trust that is built when we share stories. So when you share your story with somebody else, you're giving them uh, you're showing a lot of vulnerability. You're showing that you trust them. So when you extend that so-called olive branch of trust through a story, you often get it in return. So as you think about your role as an entrepreneur, as a leader, as somebody driving or creating part of that process of social impact, how can we have not just that human connection, but more of this trust through stories? So it just becomes a different way in which to think about the work that we do personally, professionally, and whatever way in which you would do that. So maybe, well, if I may, I'll, I'll leave it on that note, is to lead with a story so that we can have that more of that story conversation going back and forth. It's, it's needed. Definitely. Well, thank you for your olive branch and trust that you've instilled today. That's right. Um, so how can a lot of stories in yeah. report, right? So look me up and share with yeah. me your stories if you're listening. So how can our listeners find more out about you and the work that you do at Georgetown? Well, they can um, check out the Georgetown University Center for Social Impact Communication. Um, and you can just check out more about the work that we're doing and specifically uh, our different programs, the Certificate in Social Impact Storytelling that we spoke about today. Um, and there's always more that are in the works and really trying to be a center uh, figuratively and literally of, of education within the social impact community. So check us out. But um, regardless, it's just been a, a pleasure to have this conversation, a breath of fresh air, an important conversation to have. So Willa, thank you. And thanks for everybody listening too. Well, thanks, John, for being here. And just really happy to be able to share this conversation. Thank you for sharing another episode of the Firestarter podcast people, ideas, and conversations that move us forward. If you haven't already done so, you can subscribe to the podcast, find show notes, as well as the video of today's show at firestarterix.com slash podcast. That's firestarterix.com slash podcast. Connect with me on Twitter and Instagram at Willa Kammerer, that's K-A-M-M-E-R-E-R, and at firestarterix and I'm Willa Kammerer on LinkedIn. This is the Firestarter Podcast. I'm your host, Willa Kammerer, and I can't wait to share our next conversation. In the meantime, stay safe, stay well, and let's stay busy making the world.
world a better place. 